whisper something to them. Amen. Good morning, church. There's a, a line in that last song, the cross has spoken. I hope that during this Lenten season, the cross is continuing to speak to you. As you see what Christ has done for us, as we come toward Passion Week, as we move in that wonderful direction of what God has to teach us. I want us to come back to the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through Ephesians because God just kind of laid on my heart with where we are as a church, uh, the need for the message that Paul sends in this circular letter that eventually lands uh, at Ephesus, and what it means to know the unity of the body of Christ. I want us to look today at, at Paul's admonition that they would be healthy Christians and thus a healthy church in Ephesus. So we're picking it up in, in chapter 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Father, we come to this portion of your word, and I, it's my prayer that you would allow it to just speak to us as part of your church, in what it means to be yours, in what it means to know you in your fullness, and the power of your spirit working within. Lead us into the truth by your spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. For this reason, he says, reminiscent of a few verses earlier, the first verse of the same chapter, for this reason, for what reason, what it, for this cause, this reason, he says, we have come together. He talks about how he has been called to minister to these Gentiles who had been aliens, who had been far off, and now have been brought near in Christ Jesus. And since he is the one appointed to tell them, he tells them with great joy. You need to mature in your faith, he says. You need to enter into this deeper relationship with God. And he says it with an intensity and, and urgency. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. The, the phrase is kind of common to us, kneeling to pray, but it wasn't a common thing. The, the posture of prayer was standing in their days only five times in Scripture does it mention kneeling to pray. But two of those notably are Jesus and Paul, as he mentions it here. It just speaks of the intensity that he is feeling that they really need to know this, an experiential knowledge that goes to the depths of who they are as believers in, uh, in reaching to what God wants them to be. He, he implies by saying you need to be healthy Christians, you need to be a healthy church, that it's possible to be otherwise. <laughs> that we can have wrong directions and be not healthy 
in our walk with the Lord. We want to look to what Christ has for us in his fullness. And so I want us to see this. It says, we acknowledge that our health comes from the Father, from whom we derive our name. It is his church. We are his people. And the first thing he talks about in these indicators of being healthy as a believer and as a church body is this inner strength that he speaks of in verse 16. I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. To be strong within us. There's so much emphasis in our day on physical health and outer strength and fitness and health and wellness. But so little on the inner life and what it means. Uh, last weekend was homecoming, and I'm in that category now where all those who you know, have already celebrated their 50th reunion, and now everyone, you just, we put us all together, and we celebrate. If you're still alive, come and celebrate with us. <laughs> this is who we are. <clears throat> so I was, I was telling the ones around my table, our, our verse for this reunion group should be uh, 2 Corinthians 4, where it says, though outwardly we are wasting away, <laughs> inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There's no denial of the outwardly wasting away part. We recognize that the body deteriorates, that, that there's an expiration date on this physical body. And yet we realize that there's no expiration on this inner strength. That is to be renewed day by day and build that up. And while our culture spends so much time on the outward physical health and fitness, so little time on inner health in the Lord. That's what he calls us to. That's what he says will make us healthy in the Lord if we seek this inner strength. I had an uncle who uh, played professional football. He played for the Rams and the Packers, had a wonderful career, was just the epitome of, of a fit, healthy young man. Uh, my brothers, especially, and I looked up to him. He would teach us every sport we wanted to learn. Marvin would teach us how to play. But he was never a believer. My mom's brother, and there was this wonderful, godly family, and yet he had never embraced a faith in Christ until life-threatening disease took Marvin. And I remember being in his hospital room, and he started talking about how he had opened his life now to Christ as he had come to what looked like was going to be the end of his life. And we talked about this some in Sunday school this morning. He was another of those who said, all the wasted years, when I think of the impact I could have had in the position that God allowed me to be in as a professional athlete, the, the influence I could have had on people if I had been living my life for the Lord. But he says, now I'm able to do that. And I witnessed in the months of his deterioration in the hospital this steady stream of his ex-teammates, all these professional athletes, who came through, and Marvin just openly, not reminiscing about football, not reminiscing about their time together in sports, but my life's been changed now by Jesus, and it can happen to you. And he said to me just a few days before he died, Russ, I, did, I would never have chosen this pathway, but I wouldn't have missed it for anything. All of his life building up outer strength and finally, aware of building up inner strength. And I just vowed again to God. I want to spend my life, I'll never reach his pinnacle of outer strength, but if I can build up that inner strength by your spirit, as your word says, 
That's what I want to dedicate myself to. That's what Paul is calling for these Ephesian Christians to do. Be built up in the Lord. That's a mark of your health. Outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we continue to be renewed day by day in Christ. It comes from his glorious riches. He says that's how it happens. Sometimes we look in the wrong place for the riches of God. We look to what God can provide for us rather than relationship with him. And scripture warns us against this all all the time. Paul writes to the Corinthians and and says, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. John says, the word became flesh and lived for a while among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer to the Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We seek the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. And so, over and over in Scripture, we have this admonition to seek His face. In the Old Covenant, seek the face of God. Now, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, give us your glorious riches. And sometimes we have in mind, you know, physical health or family or comfort or the blessings that God is certainly free to give and often does give. But the blessings He longs for us to have in our spiritual maturity comes from the relationship with him. Not at what he provides with his hand, but the relationship of seeking his face. And I think so often my prayers are wrong in in that I run into God's presence with my list. (laughs) You know, we've all got our list. Lord, here's the things I think you should do. Please ratify my list and get back to me. Instead of seeking his face. I was helped by one of my mentors, Calvin Miller, wonderful author and and wrote a book called The Table of Inwardness, which he talked about his prayer life, and which I then incorporated into my life. My, he says, I, I visualize Christ across the table from me. He said, I used to love to pray at my desk. And I would sit there until I could visualize looking into the face of Christ. And that became his table of inwardness. He came slowly into God's presence until he was aware of the connection that was made there. And then the requests that he brought were in a better context as he came to prayer. The focus of riches is not in what he gives us, but who he is, and that he loves us as we are. The riches come from him and his strength. But we truly know his riches, and he can strengthen us, and it says how? By the power through his spirit. Outer strength comes from self-discipline, working out, doing the things that we know to do. Inner strength comes from the disciplines of the spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit working within us, that which grows from us because the spirit lives within. Then we can face anything that Satan would hurl at us, because I look at the face of Christ and I know that he lives within me by his spirit and greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. So the first mark of a healthy believer and a healthy church is this inner strength. And then he goes on to verse 17 and talks about this indwelling Christ. The mark of our effectiveness, of our health. 
is that Christ lives within. We've sung it for years. Not my own righteousness, but Christ within, living and reigning and saving from sin. His presence, not my strength. Rather, his life within us. When Paul writes to the Colossians, he talks about the mystery. The mystery that's been kept hidden for generations, and, and he keeps building up this mystery is, and then with a little drum roll right there at the end of chapter 1, said, this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus had said it in the upper room to the disciples, I have been with you, but now the Spirit is coming, I can be within you. Not just a presence, but part of who we are. And so we begin to, to recognize in the upper room when Jesus said, I'm going away. It's important that I go away because I'm going to send you another counselor. And when he said another counselor, there are two different words for another. They would say, this is a book and this is another book. That's not the word Jesus used here. He said, I will send you another counselor where I would say, this is a book this is another book, another of the exact same kind. So when Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm going to send you another count, he says, I myself will live within you. If we're looking for something different from Jesus when we say the Holy Spirit, we're looking in the wrong place. It is the Spirit of Christ now living within us, the unity of the Godhead, together in creation, together in redemption, together in sustaining us in our life now. But now he lives within us by his grace. And if we are a healthy church, if we are healthy believers, it's because we acknowledge he lives within us. It's nothing we're doing for God. It's what God's doing through us. And there's a fine distinction there. And sometimes we as believers get caught up in the legalism of this is what we're doing for Christ. If Christ lives within us, this is what he is doing. If he uses us, great. Wonderful to be used but it's his power working within us. How does it work? It goes right back into chapter 2 when we looked at how are you saved. By grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourself. Nothing you can brag about. It's Christ. He is the one who has done it. If you look to the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says they were sure of what they hoped for and certain of what they did not see. They are moving into that unknown, knowing that that unknown is better than where they are moving into the fullness of what God has for us, knowing that we can trust him to be who we need him to be within us as those days continue. This indwelling Christ. And Paul so often speaks about Christ who is the head, the head of the church. We think about the body. We are the body of Christ. The body gets its instructions from the brain. <laughs> and so we function. If we get our instructions from Christ, we will function in the proper way. He is the head of the church. And so, do my attitudes reflect that Christ lives within me? Does my teaching reflect that Christ lives within me? Do my actions reflect <laughs> that Christ lives within me? We need to take that inventory all the time. Am I showing the right thing? Have Austin read the, the verse from Romans, and we sang, let your love transform us. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. This doesn't discount our intellect. He just renews our minds, our thought processes daily as we're growing in him. 
And I love to take inventory when God does something that I know I couldn't possibly have done. Are we just doing things that we are able to do for God, or are we doing things so far beyond our capacity and we realize it's only God? That's the only way this could have happened. Look what God has done. To him be the glory. And isn't that the teaching of Jesus on the mountainside with the disciples? Let people see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. And we can short-circuit that plan if we say, let people see your good works and praise you for your good works. <laughs> and the secular world does that all the time. Philanthropy for the sake of praise or for the sake of feeling better about yourself or something else. It's a wrong motivation. We're to do those good works so that God will be glorified. And in order for God to be glorified, we've got to deflect that praise when it comes back and say, that's only God. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it's possible. Look what God has done. And so Paul said, all the more gladly I'll boast of my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, his strength comes in. So these marks of, of health are this inner strength that comes from God, this indwelling Christ who has come to dwell within us, and the word there for dwell is a permanent dwelling place. I remember as a kid seeing that picture, you know, of Jesus standing at the door in the garden and knocking, and we're to open the door and let him in. And we read the verse in Revelation 3, if you open the door, I will come in. But he doesn't just come in to clean up your house and then say, that was a nice visit, see you later. <laughs> he comes in to stay. He dwells within us. His spirit enables us, infills us. That's what this strength is about. But Paul moves on then to the third thing about this healthy congregation. And Ephesus was a healthy church. You know, at one point here, Timothy's the pastor. Two of the members of the church are St. John and Mary, the mother of Jesus. John, you remember, had said at the foot of the cross, Jesus said, take care of her. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. John took it seriously. For years in Jerusalem, later to Ephesus where Mary passed. This is a strong church. There's great examples here of what it means. That look around. It's only because of the infilling of the Spirit that this is happening. And so we recognize that this is a community of love. And that's the next thing he focuses on in verses 17 and 18. The goal is that our love would be as limitless as Christ's love is. That's a huge challenge, isn't it? <laughs> Can we ever do that? That's something to keep striving for. That our love would be a picture of Christ's love. Love for each other. That's something that I've really taken note of in these months as we've gone through this dark period in the life of our church and our history. The way we pull together and this idea of behold how they love each other. And I hear all these things that you guys are doing for each other and lifting each other up and it's what the community of love is about. And we are to love as Christ loved and how did his, he love? His love took him to the cross. We're talking about sacrificial love. Not just love when it's convenient but a love that costs us something. It doesn't happen with shallow love. And so he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. When Luann and I moved into the home we're living in now, where Rich and Retha used to live, and in their later years, Rich had had to kind of ignore uh, the yard because of health issues and stuff. And in the backyard, there were a couple of dead trees. And they were clearly dead. They weren't bearing fruit. They hadn't borne fruit for several years 
pine culverts. And, and so I started digging around to uproot those trees and pull them out. And the root structure was just incredible. And so I dug all around and these huge roots and get a power saw and start sawing them off and try pulling the roots. If a dead tree has that kind of root structure, I'm thinking, what does a healthy tree look like? He said, you are rooted and established in love. That is not easily swayed. That is something that is strong. If we sense how deep and measureless is the love of God, and he gets into this, how high, how deep, how wide, how long, the love of God, you being rooted and established in love. Only as we love that way can we begin to reach out with love to others. We get a glimpse of Christ's love. And he says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. And just right up earlier on my page here in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, this love is made known to me by revelation. This is not something we got together and figured out. <laughs> he reveals that love to us glory of God in the face of Christ. And so we begin to see what that love is about. Uh, Friday night, I was leaving the writer's symposium on my way home and got out of the car at home, and the moon, the full moon, was so bright, I could have read my Bible from it. Now, I'm a strong graduate of Point Loma's educational program. I know that the moon does not generate light. but reflects the light of the sun. We do not generate light. <laughs> but if the love of Christ is reflected brightly enough from us, people will be able to read Christ from that light. If we will be reflectors of the love of God to our world, they will sense that it comes from God and not from us. Well, we're to be a loving community. And then he comes to verse 19, <laughs> this amazing concept that the fullness of God would dwell within us. That you would know the fullness of all of the love of God. Paul has a deep understanding of what the church is to be. We are to be one in Christ. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells. <laughs> and the church, along with Christ, is the incarnation of God. We are the body of Christ. That image <laughs> keeps us going, doesn't it? We are connected. Everything we do is in this connectedness in the body of Christ. And a crucial part of his prayer here is that we would fill, be filled to the fullness of God. That is, don't settle for less than the fullness of God. The church without fullness is like, you know, social workers with the wrong motivation. It's like somebody doing good works but having no one to praise for it. Or else we'll just be kind of a reclusive Christian society that's kind of a, viewed by the world as a holier-than-thou club and doesn't have anything to do with relationship. But we are called to be filled with his fullness. And so... We're not the church if we settle for less than that fullness. We need to let the, the holiness of God quicken our consciences, move us to what we should be doing, the truth of God to feed our minds, that we might live by his truth. The beauty of God to spark our imaginations. And he says here, 
immeasurably more you can ask or imagine in Christ. The love of God to open our hearts. And, and may God's will direct our purpose. Not our selfishness, but Christ living within us define our purpose. So God is, is made visible through us in the church. Non-believers have rationalized away all kinds of things, but they cannot rationalize away a changed life. And if you are transformed, I loop back to my Uncle Marvin. All these guys, these pro athletes that had been his teammates knew him in his old life. But his message at the end of his life to them was, I'm not that guy anymore. I've been changed. We are transformed because of Christ. And if we let that transformation show, you know, that changed life will have an impact. We don't need, you know, an easier job. We need the fullness of God. We don't need a, a family that's easier to get along with. We need the fullness of God. We don't need secondary things. We need the fullness of God. And so Paul is pulling together, and as you read Paul's letters, there's the theological section, what we believe, and then the very practical sections of, okay, how do we live, because this is what we believe. And he's about to turn that corner in this circular letter that he writes to the church. And he gives us this beautiful doxology, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He's trying to catch that imagination in all of us, terms that we can relate to. So just maybe close your eyes and visualize, what does God want to do within you that's beyond anything you can ask or imagine? Let your imagination <laughs> run with it. Maybe you need the courage to come to him. Maybe you need the power to live for him. Maybe you need his strength to break some kind of habit that has control of your life that's leading you away from Christ. Maybe you need love for someone in particular. He says, now, to him who's able to do immeasurably more. We measure so many things in our lives. How much, how long, how wide. He says, this is beyond that human measurement. How does it work? By his power that is at work within us. He can do everything you need. He can meet the desires of your heart. He can give you meaningful and eternal life. So he says, to him be glory. How? In the church. God wants glory in his body. He says he's going to demonstrate that glory in the church through us, and throughout all generations. And so the end of this view of God is, are we ready to move on to this practical? He's talked in these first three chapters about praise, about unity, about the adoption as the children of God, about God's power, about our servanthood. He's going to move on to how do we put that into action? Don't turn that corner without this fullness of Christ within you. If you were at Doug Zabriskie's memorial service, which was just such a marvelous gathering, if you, if you knew Doug, there's not anybody in this room that Doug hadn't prayed for, because Doug was a prayer. He just prayed. He 
He'd pray for the church as a whole. If he knew you individually, he'd pray for you by name. He'd wander from different sections of the church to just to pray over that space. We had special prayer time before each of our services, led by Doug, to pray for pastor, to pray for what was going to happen, to pray for the musicians, to pray for worship. He's just a person of prayer. And Dean Nelson just told this beautiful story uh, at the memorial service. We had all gathered at the hospital. Uh, Dean and Marsha were there. Pastor D was there. I was there. Uh, Jan was there. And we weren't sure he was making it through the night. The doctors weren't sure he was making it through the night. Huge oxygen mask over his face. It was hard to communicate. Whisper something to us. But I was out in the in the waiting area with Jan when Dean and Marcia were in the room. And he told the story of how they would just started singing songs to him. And as they began to sing the, the old chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. And Doug made this concentrated effort. You know, one arm was all IVs and fluids they were pouring into him. The other arm was trapped under the covers and they started to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And Doug was making this effort to, <laughs> to get that hand out from under the covers and just raised up his hand. He knew he was going to be meeting the Lord face to face pretty quickly. And his word of testimony, he says, yeah, I've decided. I've made that choice. And I think I just need to <laughs> join Doug and say, that's the right decision. I want to be a healthy believer. I want us to be a healthy body. And it comes because we made a decision. Let's just sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. And it strikes me <laughs> that a healthy church makes that declaration in everything that we do. And so the crescendo of these verses all through chapter 3, God is able to do all things. <laughs> what he can do surpasses my wildest imagination. God has more for me than I can even imagine. He has more for you than you can even imagine. But allow his spirit to begin to spark that imagination and say, okay, Lord, show me the next step. Show me how I can live for you. Well, Paul wrote our benediction for us. Let me read it for us again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church 
and in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in God's peace.